0: Hey guys, in this episode you're going to hear one of my earliest recorded podcast episodes with Norwegian strength coach Birge Fagerli. Now I'm pronouncing his name much better than I did at the time. Uh, But Birge was kind enough to accept my invitation and man, this turned out to be one of my most epic podcast episodes that I recorded. Uh, Initially we went through some of his best work, uh, for example his book called The Biorhythm Diet that goes a lot into nutrient timing and i also asked him about his way of coaching people But at the end, he really gave his two cents on how to live an awesome, rich life besides being, of course, jacked and ripped and, uh, you know, looking good naked. And it's really no surprise that yet again, it turned out that it's not by accident that some of these people in the fitness industry get to be so successful. It's partly because they share such great philosophies about life in general. So if you're not familiar with the name of Birg Fagerli yet, or you are familiar with it, but only by his invention of Mayo reps, for example, then this episode is really going to be enlightening for you. So I really hope you enjoy it. If so, please leave a review on iTunes. It would greatly help out. And now, without further ado, let's bring on Mr. Birge Fagerli. Uh,
1: thank you, Borge, for coming on. And how is it going? And did I pronounce your name correctly?
2: Yeah, it was pretty close. It's one of the be- better ones. So. Most uh, yeah. English-speaking people just say like Borg. Your name is right. So, but it's Bergef Ber- Bergefogeli is my name.
1: Berge. Okay, cool. I I I listened to some interviews with you, and everybody just seems to butcher your name completely. And it's like, <laughs> doesn't doesn't seem that difficult. But uh, yeah, okay. So um, let's just, uh, I want to go through a whole bunch of really cool topics with you, and um, so I'm just going to jump right in. So first of all, please, let's just um, uh, start with your little introduction. Please tell us about um, your journey. How did you become the coach and fitness authority that you are today? And um, yeah, just how did, who inspired you? How did you get here?
2: Mm, well... It's kind of a long story, but i'll try to um give you the highlights um i, I was uh, i was always um very like um bright and um like smart i i i started reading when i when i was four years old and started you know doing math before i even started school so I always found academic um, endeavors to be more uh, easy for me uh, than sports and physical activities. So I was kind of always the last one to be picked at the sports teams and just always performed moderately well um, among all my peers. Uh, So for me, it became like this pursuit of finding the optimal way of... um, of doing things so that you know I could get the best results um, possible um, and so that kind of quickly turned out to be methods uh, I kind of systematically just filtered out information in order to find what what really worked and if something didn't work why didn't it work and and sort of Try to individualize the prescriptions on, on training and nutrition and, and that quickly turned out to be a very productive way to make other people the best version of themselves like the, the better athletes. Um, um, I, I kind of had this um, mentality of almost seeking out all the underdogs uh, and, and then you know bringing out the best in them so I've obviously worked with a lot of talents, but but um, I, I think talent only gets you so far. You need hard work and consistency, and you know training smart instead of just a lot. And and so um, I always looked up to coaches that that um, you know had this systematic way of programming, and, and, and like Lyle McDonald was one of my earlier mentors, and. Um, I always admired the way he was able to filter a lot of research and and synthesize uh, methods out of that, like programs out of that. So um, I actually com- contributed to a couple of his books um, in the past, uh, where I would you know try out different methods and and see what worked and and sort of fine tune it and see if there was something that worked better. So. I guess I was always the guy that wanted to find something that worked better. I wasn't uh, satisfied with uh, just being, you know, good enough. Um, and, and basically just trying to see if there was something even more optimal for for individuals. Um, so I haven't really worked with a lot, a lot of teams. Um, um, mostly having worked with individuals and, and being able to take the underdogs up into the, the like top tier, t- top tier placings. So yeah, I have quite an extensive list of world champions and European champions and Nordic and Norwegian champions on my list. That and that, that was kind of what drove me, just to find right. something that worked the best. Um, um, and of course, I could have. Broken my self-confidence completely to see that Even though I found the better methods uh, I couldn't really excel at anything, but uh, It just gave me this profound joy of seeing others perform at their best and and winning trophies and you know just just yeah
1: Becoming incredible.
2: Yeah
1: Yeah, uh, I I heard you mentioned kind of you think, I mean, that you always kind of sucked at, at things. Um, now, I, I don't know. I see, I've see. i seen some pictures of you. Um, you still have a pretty crazy physique. So I'm just curious. Like, when you started lifting weights, did you dream about becoming a Mr. Olympia? Or what was kind of your initial idea? Uh, no, I don't think I ever had that kind of uh, aspirations. So.
2: I was just... I just kind of wanted to uh, to look big and tr- and strong. That was my initial uh, motivation to start lifting. Um, I actually started on the um, like that Bulgarian burst training system uh, developed by Leo Costa, you know, all those years ago, which was um, not too distant from the way I'm training today. You know, it was high frequency, moderate volume, focus on the compound lifts. So it's kind of interesting to see how in 25 years I've, I've basically just come full circle. Um, but but I think my aspirations was was mostly just to find a better way to to do things. You know, see if I could get you know my lifts to go up and you know my arms to to grow bigger and whatever. I think they're just just a process. There wasn't like any ultimate goal there. I was I was always just focused on the process and, and finding the to drive within the minor details, basically.
1: Right. Um, now, you obviously work with a lot of clients. Um, you work a lot of clients uh, online. So I would be curious, mm-hmm. like, how, how is your general kind of assessment process look like? So when someone hires you as a coach, how do you kind of determine how to approach them in your um, yeah, working process?
2: Um, there, it's quite an extensive questionnaire. Um, nowadays, I usually just call people and talk to them and because and, uh, I can always... If I send out a client form and people uh, send it in... Um, you can you can sort of uh, get the overall grasp of the situation, but just talking to people, I can sometimes pick up things that they didn't even consider. Um, so so that's my preference nowadays. But as far as the information goes, it's it's the general you know age, height, weight, body fat percentage, their occupation, because that tells me something about if they're sedentary or not. But it I, I also ask about their general activity level outside of training. Um, you can have those hard training clients, uh, you know, training one to two hours per day, and then just sitting on their ass the rest of the day, and that's, you know, it's it's not going to burn a ton of calories. Um, um, I look at stress levels because uh, um, I, I tend to look at stress as sort of this bucket that you can fill with uh, the stress from uh, your general life, like your work, your family, social obligations. Uh, You have the stress from training in there, you have the stress from nutrition, I mean bad food quality will uh, be a negative stress um, factor, Uh, you have sleep quality, so I kind of assess all of these to determine how much training stress can a client actually tolerate and you know, is the is the bucket big enough to uh, to tolerate even more stress from the training? Um, yeah, and there is also like for for um, the cybernetic fitness website where you know we have this artificially intelligent program generator that I worked with with Men Hanselmans. We we also look at wrist and ankle circumference and uh, like digit length to determine uh, anabolic potential, and so that's kind of an advanced type of um, algorithm in there that I don't really use with my online clients all that much. Um, um, Yes, those are the general ideas. I obviously also look at training history and, you know, if they've been active and doing sports all their their life. um, if they've been training with weights is it like really good programs or have they just been messing around um, their food quality is their diet shitty their uh, biorhythm you know are, are there you know night night owls or morning larks you know do they get up early go to bed early that kind of thing so it's yeah it's, it's kind of an interplay in between all these factors and how can we move forward you know can because c- I don't like to just enforce a diet plan on the client. I like to see what they're doing now and and sort of just incorporate lifestyle habits and habit forming positive habit habit forming.
1: All right. Um, um, oh, I'm sorry. We just got delayed. No,
2: um, but that's basically it. So. And how many days per week can they work out? Do they work out early or late? I also take that into consideration, because you know training in the mornings, you're not going to be as strong and, and volume tolerant as, as you can be in the afternoon and the evening. Um, and you know if you've had one, two, or three meals in you before you go to the gym, that's also going to be a factor. But Then I just basically start out someone on a a template and um, a program template where I test their strength levels in all exercises, and determine the intensity, like the starting loads, and um, the sets. You know the volume, um, taking into account uh, the frequency chosen or what what is allowed for that client. Sometimes it's not even feasible to train more than three days per week. So. We kind of have to take that into account as well, and so then we we'll just basically see what happens. Uh, the starting loads will determine, you know, just you know a short summary of that is um, based on your fiber type and your training history. If I prescribe an 80% intensity, and we have determined that your one RM squat is 100 kilos, if I tell you to do max reps at 80 kilos. If you're like this explosive, low rep kind of guy, you will end up maybe doing six reps. If you're one of these, you know, cardio bunnies that I like to call them, you know, always being uh, really en- endurance oriented, uh, you might end up doing 12 reps at 80%. Um, so the rep range is not going to be a pre- prescription on my end. It's going to be determined by your individual. Uh, you know, fiber type and and training history. So uh, that kind of takes care of the individuality factor. And then we see work capacity. I prescribe number of sets, and if you have a high work capacity, you might end up getting 12, 12, 12, 12, uh, whereas someone with a low work capacity will maybe get 12, 8, 6, 4. And that's kind of the auto-regulation aspect, which I'm a huge fan of using my programs
1: yeah um, cool I was gonna ask a little bit more about the client assessment but you already mentioned a couple of really cool topics so I'm just gonna jump a little bit back and forth uh, so let's get into nutrition first cuz you have done some great work on uh, nutrient timing and you wrote about the biorhythm uh, diet that you I think now already mentioned so could you first give it like a short quick kind of overview of what makes that different from the typical sort of bodybuilding diet approach
2: um yeah where to start um this is this is uh you know i already wrote a book on this so um uh, which is going to be published um through an online course with our first of all but but i'm also looking at uh, publishing on a Norwegian version, which will include everything but um like the general six meals a day uh, evenly spread uh bodybuilding type um diet it obviously works i mean we we've seen that it produces uh, incredible results in 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 this obviously very talented uh, and gifted um, bodybuilders but uh, for the general population which I work with and, and try to you know produce champions from um, it's um, it's a compliance issue you know just having to prepare and eat meals every two to three hours I, I mean I could never do that um, I, I I used to like um, one time in the past but it, it was always a hassle um, so I, I guess I started kind of, um, I, I, I also did co- contest diets where there were no carbs after 6 p.m. Um, and I just felt horrible on that, you know, I, I, I would wake up two, three times every night and, and just suffer badly, like being starving, uh, so I kind of tried to figure out, you know, how would the nutrient timing, was there any truth in that, that you could eat any carbs past six p m and, and um, you know sleep quality obviously factored in um, if, if uh, you were starving, it was really hard to be in a cal- caloric deficit, so you had to ensure that you slept well and so all this biorhythm stuff started interesting me and looking at how the body the efficiency at which it metabolizes, digests, and metabolizes the nutrients and directs them towards um, anabolism um, or lipolysis, um, and it it kind of became apparent that when you're desynchronized, when your circadian rhythm, which is governed by the input from light and meal timing, is synchronized um, or desynchronized, uh, all these hormonal um, the, the hormonal environment in your, uh, in your body is going to be suboptimal, and it leads to a host of uh, metabolic syndromes and, and diseases, uh, which is popularly referred to by Daniel Lieberman in his excellent book, uh, The Story of the Human Body, as a mismatch disease. Um, so the circadian desynchronicity is, is actually a, a very important factor in the modern lifestyle diseases. Uh, both the cardiovascular, metabolic, and the cancer um, incidence or rates that we've seen just explode, uh, but most of all the obesity rates. Um, so, uh, whereas having everything synchronized, having the meals in, in, uh, synchronized with daylight and um, eating the proper foods at the proper time, it basically makes everything just work a lot better. So instead of this whole black box view of the body as input-output, you just kind of open up the box and see what's going on inside. And, and so you can start determining what the body is actually doing with those nutrients. So you can, you know, build muscle and burn fat at the same time. Because those are independent processes, whereas people try to say that, well, it's the same thing. Well, no, it's not because your body is not a calculator. It's, it's, a, it's an evolutionary organism that's, um, you know, it tries to protect you, it tries to preserve lean mass, I mean, it, it, you know, fat is um, important energy storage for um, survival. So you kind of have to start working it, uh, with the body and not against it. Uh, <clears throat> so the, basically the short version of it is that um, fats are um, metabolized more efficiently for energy in the early parts of the day. Whereas having higher fat meals later in the day and closer to bedtime seems to interfere with, with, um, uh, with the digestive and metabolic process and, and it's, there's a high probability of it being directed towards fat storage instead of burnt off as energy. Um, obviously, this can be influenced by um, how hard you're training and when you're training. So there's, there are ways to offset that. Um, protein intake generally your, your body is is more sensitive to protein intake in the early parts of the day, and that's because you had a, a nightly fast. A period without uh, nutrient intake allows the cells to increase their sensitivity, so whereas um, my favorite metaphor of this is just tapping the finger on your forehead, you know at the beginning it's really. Sensitive, but over time it becomes numb. That's what happens with protein intake as well. The amino acids, if you keep bombarding the cells with amino acid signaling, uh, the cells shut down, they become numb, so they don't respond to the signal. Whereas early in the day, when you've had a break from the nutrient intake, your cells are really responsive to that signal. Uh, And so then later in the day, Uh, When you approach the final meal um, and you have a fasting period ahead, then having um, a whole meal or a slower digesting protein source and a higher intake, since you're at the point where it's um, where the cells are at their lowest efficiency in terms of you know protein synthesis, um, and synchronizing that with um, with 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 a workout, would obviously also increase the efficiency at which, which you can uh, use and, and um, turn those amino acids into real muscle. Um, so the largest meal, the most protein-rich meal, should should be the final meal. Um, it should also not be too late. I, I generally pre- prescribe a, an eating window between 7 7 to 9 a.m. in the morning to 7 to 9 p.m. in the evening. Um, That's what seems to be uh, the most optimal eating window in terms of metabolic health and and what the body is doing with those nutrients. Um, You generally just want to eat within a couple of hours after getting up, two to three hours, and you want to eat within three to four hours before going to bed because that will allow the body to start shutting down the digestive process and then uh, start melatonin production and get the leptin release and, and growth hormone and all that good stuff that happens during the night to ensure that you are recovering well. Uh, Carb intake is generally just tuned to activity level. so. Um, like the first article on rhythm Diet that I wrote, people kind of interpreted that as saying, well, you should go zero carb throughout the day and then you should basically carb load after a workout. I never said that, but it, I guess I was a little vague in terms of when to eat carbs, because um, it was from the context of having a late workout. So if you're like most people, uh, kind of sedentary throughout the day. You don't actually need a lot of carbs, and so you can by saving up those carbs for post-workout, you can ensure that the muscles are going to suck up all those uh, um, all those carbs and, and make them into glycogen. Um, but nowadays, I'm 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 a little more flexible. I don't really tell people to go low carb or zero carb in the early parts of the day, especially not if they're um, on their feet and staying active throughout the day I allow some carbs there. Uh, so the meals can be really balanced throughout the day um, until you get to the, to the training where a carb intake goes up. But it's also important to have some carbs in the final meal. So even if you work out in the morning, uh, it's not going to be zero carb for the final meal either. That goes back to my experience with, you know, uh, it affecting sleep quality and, and, and hunger throughout the night. So it's, uh, carbs are an important driver for, um, for leptine signaling, and you want a leptin peak during the night. And it's also um, uh, a sight giver, which means it's one of the clock inputs to the central um, circadian clock. Uh, so having some carbs in the final meal can actually uh, help you reset jet lag more efficiently if, if you're traveling through uh, time zones, different time zones. Um, but you're you just generally going to see a peak of carb intake around workouts. And, and so that that's what takes care of the, the nutrient timing aspect of it. I also tune this to how advanced someone is. So a beginner is going to have some pretty even uh, balanced meals. It's not going to be some huge Differences in, in caloric intake, but whereas you, when you get more advanced, this anabolic window it shortens. So, a beginner can like grow muscles for uh, 24 to 48 hours after a workout. When you get to the intermediate level, um, that sort of anabolic window is going to be open for maybe 24 hours, 12, 12 to 24 hours. But when you get very advanced, this winter shortens all the way down to maybe six to twelve hours um, and we've seen some research uh, showing how delaying caloric intake by six hours almost nullified almost eliminated the muscle growth potential and and, and i mean they they had they even had standard meals in there it was the mori et al study, the Asian study um, but whereas having an additional carbon protein intake. Uh, post workout immediately post workout dramatically improved the results, but only in the advanced lifters the beginners there was no no difference and uh, right. so that that kind of just in addition to a lot of other um, research, just confirmed uh, the whole anabolic window theory, but what most people tend to forget when they try to make sense of nutrient timing is that they forget the level of advancement of, of the lifters. So um, yeah, so, so that's sort of the nutrient uh, timing aspect of everything and, and the biorhythm aspect of it as well. I actually saw noticeable improvements in uh, body composition just by making sure that you don't eat the, the final meal later than 8 or 9 p.m. in the evening. Uh, it also seemed to improve sleep quality, um, and, and uh, I actually tried some variations where some clients of mine just moved their final meal a little earlier to like 7 or 8, whereas the others were um, allowed to continue eating like 10 or 11 p.m. for some people, and just moving the meal earlier uh, started at the same caloric level to reduce body fat in, in these clients. So, so I, yeah, so I really found that, that highly interesting. And, of course, digging through the research, you can kind of see how the enzyme activity sort of tended to drop in the, in the evening. And, um, yeah, so the body's just generally not very effective at, at burning fat later in the day. So you really need a hard and long workout if you want to um, uh, take advantage of fat intakes and caloric intake later in the day. So, that whole car backloading thing that, that John Kiefer invented yeah. that he later minute was wrong. Um, it just kind mm-hmm. of falls flat on its face when you start to really understand the circadian rhythm and nutrient timing aspect of things.
1: Yeah, it, o- it also makes life a little bit more difficult, I think, with th- that approach. But, uh, <laughs> but that aside, uh, actually, I, one thing I wanted to ask you about is because I know you placed a lot of emphasis on... Living a great awesome life while looking good is um, in terms of calorie tracking and, and macronutrient tracking, how closely do you monitor that in your own life and what do you generally recommend to your clients there um,
2: for myself, I stopped tracking um, probably a year ago because um, the the ironic thing was that when I when I meticulously planned and tracked everything, uh, my results were good, uh, But when I stopped tracking everything, and just kind of became more in tune with my body and optimized my lifestyle, my you know staying active throughout the day were, uh, compared to sitting on my ass, um, improved food quality even more and, and got more of a holistic understanding of, of um, the whole aspect of you know nutrient and lifestyle. Um, my results improved. I actually started dropping fat and uh, maintaining, and even building some more muscle. Uh, inflammation went away. You know, I, I used to have like a lot of joint pain, and, and um, I would I would respond really, um, really hard, really to 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 workouts in general. I would I would, you know, hurt everywhere. I couldn't really tolerate any volume at all. Um, and I'm not gonna say I'm totally pain-free, but you know the the difference is like night and day. Um, so I basically just have this general idea of when to eat, and the, the meal co- composition, the, what I'm gonna eat, uh, but the rest I just let hunger dictate that. So before I would eat my meal no matter what, but today I might actually leave. You know, half my plate uh, of food left because I'm just not hungry anymore. So, just learning how to um, differentiate between uh, eating to fullness and eating until you're not hungry anymore—that that was kind of a, a mindfuck for me. Um, but that also improved results, and and. Uh, Having high and low calorie days, depending on um, how hungry I am, also improved results dramatically. And um, um, yes, and of course the liberty. I mean the freedom in not having to plan everything in advance. uh, I I think that was a major part of it. And and, you know, making sure that food is something to enjoy, um, and food is a fuel. Uh, but it's not something that should be <clears throat> derived extreme pleasure or uh, suffering from uh, the way that most people approach it, because um, that sort of ends up in this starve binge cycle that so many clients that, you know, approach me are, are suffering from. And, and so with my clients, I generally have to prescribe portion sizes and meals and, and timing In the beginning parts of 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 the coaching period, and that's to reprogram their circadian rhythm because it's very often messed up and desynchronized, and to learn people how to, or to teach people how to um, uh, to judge portion sizes, and you know to see that they're um, getting sufficient protein and and making the proper food selection and balancing in their meals. But I always prefer to transition into a more intuitive, instinctive, mindful way of eating the way I'm doing it, Uh, which is also very liberating for so many of my clients that have been locked into this calorie counting mindset. So I guess you could look at it as um, instead of having one one overarching principle and and, uh, this is what I always do, I like to have the more extreme clients becoming more moderate, whereas the clients that are always uh just eating whatever whenever I like to bring them towards the middle to towards a more strict uh, eating schedule, so they have uh, uh, prescribed meal times and a certain uh, meal setup, but it's not like overly restrictive or Are regulated by you know rules or you know uh, can can do and can can't do basically. Um, uh, But but there's always sort of this programming period in the beginning. I mostly just work. I think maybe 80% of my clients are satisfied after four weeks of working together. Uh, yeah probably seventy to eighty percent of my clients because I try to teach them as much as, as much as possible while we're working together and then um, leave them better than when i find, found them so I give them uh, this this long list of um guidelines on how to proceed uh, on their own um, <clears throat> but but you know some people also prefer having a coach that can guide them through everything so they don't have to think about it. And so I can do that too. But my style of coaching nowadays is more of a lifestyle based coach. So, um, cause because that tends to improve everything. Um, it's like some people have this idea in their mind that if they just do everything perfectly, they will become the champions. But I would say the champions, uh, one of the trademarks of a true champion is the ability to listen to their body and actually, um, you know, self-monitor or have a coach that you know sort of hold them back when they're pushing too hard, uh, or or you know pushing them when they are able to. Um, cool. Yeah.
1: Um, oh, sorry. Go ahead. No,
2: I'm I'm done.
1: <laughs> <laughs> cool. Uh, next, actually, you know, I, I was gonna ask you originally about training, but since we only have. Uh, kind of a short amount of time left I definitely want to ask you about um, because I read your blog and you wrote one post called how to be awesome (laughs) which was a really cool post And and I heard you before mentioning that you find it important to have a life and Mm -hmm. not just limit to your life to fitness so if you could just address those points how do you think we could live an awesome life and also how can we synchronize looking good Lean and muscular, while also having a great, full, rich life.
2: Hmm. Well, that's probably an hour right there of uh, <laughs> addressing all those yeah. points. But <laughs> I think just uh, the the, um, the main thing to remember is that there are a lot of talented people and gifted athletes uh, in, in physique or, or you know in physical prowesses, um, but. It's, there's only like this small, small minority in the world that become world champions or are able to actually live off of it. Uh, so I think just having some realist, realistic expectations. And what you also see in the, um, in, in the top performers is uh, the mindset of uh, enjoying the process. I mean, they, they like training. They, they love it. Um, um and you know food is often the fuel for them it is not something that should have this this overly dramatic emotional response attached to it um so so there are some characteristics in there that that sort of tells you whether someone is going going to be um a top performer or not i think um and and that's not to say that everyone should you know um drop all their ambitions and you know just become an accountant or something uh, not that accounting is is the worst thing you can do, but uh, I think just having some realism in there and looking around you and seeing that because the one the single most important thing or, or or the most important theme uh when you ask people on their deathbeds or when they have a terminal disease that, uh, you know they're they're about to die. I don't think anyone ever said that. I wished I trained harder, or stick better to my meals, or worked harder, or the the common theme is always I wish I spent more time with my friends and my family and my loved ones, and I, I wished I saw more of the world, I experienced more of the world, because I think. We're not put here on Earth to uh, look good naked, basically. I mean, we can, but that's not supposed to be the single most important factor in our lives. Um, I also think it is important that what you do is fun. Uh, some people say that, well, yeah, I love training, uh, you know, training hard and, and uh, eating chicken and broccoli. Yoo-hoo, you know, I, I really love it, but on the inside, they're hurting. They're usually hurting, you know. It's, it's, not, it's not comfortable. It's just that they don't have any other point of reference. So to them, that's their world. You know, That's their little bubble that they think, well, this is fantastic. This is awesome. This is what life is supposed to be about. That's because they haven't experienced anything else. Uh, so I think just having more points of reference will tremendously impact the way people approach uh, what they do in their daily life. Um, And there's actually a scientific study showing how just enjoying training increases your recovery and your results. Uh, And just having enjoyable workouts are, in general, um, tied to the success of that workout. So uh, if you are training something that you enjoy training, you get better results after the 6- or 12-week period. Whereas if you're doing something that you really hate, then that's going to affect your results then, negatively. And your general view of your life and you know, your enjoyment of life is going to affect your hunger. Um, there was this interesting, cool study where they had two groups. One group was, um, uh, yeah, two groups were going to walk a certain distance um, in the same um, time duration. Uh, one group was uh, told that, let's go out training. And so they walked that same distance over the same uh, time span, whereas the other group was told, "Hey, let's go out and, and you know enjoy the fresh air and, and watch the birds in the sky and you know just getting some fresh air and sun." <coughs> and they both walked the same distance uh, in the same in the same time span. And at the end of the walk, they were giving ac- given access to a lunch buffet, and the group that was training. Actually ate thirty to forty percent more calories than the wow. group that was just out enjoying the fresh air and so that just goes to show the whole impact of your mental attitude towards what you're doing that's going to affect the results you get from it and it's, it's going to impact how much you eat uh, or actually need feel that you need to eat so so there's this whole People tend to think of, well, this is the physiological aspect of it. And just optimizing all the variables here, that's going to make everything perfect. And then totally forget the whole mental aspect of things, where uh, the way you process information and the way you approach your training is is going to determine if this over here is actually going to work or not. So, So that's where I'm coming from with my whole holistic um, aspect and an approach to both the coaching process and the way I live my own life. I spend a lot of time just trying to figure out myself and what drives me and, and what um, what makes me happy, basically. Because I think deep down we're all, you know, the happiness is what we're after, and having a six-pack is not necessarily going to bring you happiness. When I was at my leanest and biggest. And competing in bodybuilding, I was probably more depressed than I ever was. So it, it, that's that's not hot happiness. That's that's not what's gonna make you happy. But people tend to think it is. And 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 it's just gonna disturb you view of the world and yourself.
1: Shit. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh thanks man. That was that was really powerful. Yeah, I uh I, I don't know. It's interesting. I talked to Eric Helms uh, before. Um, oh, I'm great. Sure. I don't know. I yeah, great that. guy. Yeah. yeah, and he, he just said uh, kind of similar things like he's just so deep, you know, and has kind of such a philosophical person. And, and I love that, that people in the bodybuilding industry just many times have these very deep thoughts about happiness and kind of the meaning of life. And I don't know if it's bodybuilding that teaches people to think that way or... It's a coincidence, or I don't know, but I just love seeing this more and more. So, yeah, yeah, I great. think it's
2: um, more about getting out of bodybuilding because you went through that whole process, and and you you you've kind of uh, gotten to see life from both perspectives. And uh, I really got along with Eric Great. We met at the AFPT convention uh, this year, where we were both uh, giving presentations, and and I mean, we just spent the whole evening talking about life and and our approach to things, and and we're completely uh, in agreement with how you should view the whole process. Uh, I mean, I, I, yeah, I just generally Eric is really worth listening to and, and you know reading his material. Just highly recommend it.
1: Cool. cool awesome. Well, Borget, thank you very much uh, for coming on. It's It's been very very insightful and, and you gave some Awesome information, just please tell people where they can find you, yeah, maybe you have some products, books, seminars, where can people get in contact with you.
2: Yeah, uh, as most of you probably uh, realized, I'm, I'm a worthy guy, so I have so much stuff inside this big head that I just want to get out. Um, my Norwegian webpage is borgefagerly.no. I have an English blog, which is and um, You know, it's, it's kind of there's there's not a lot of stuff going on there. It's just my some of my old articles, so it's not really active. I've been putting my effort into the Energy Blueprint with Ari Witten, which is the whole circadian and lifestyle aspect of uh, light, movement, eating. Uh, just it's, it's going to be an aw- awesome product, and it's uh, we're hopefully going to launch it late January. Uh, Cybernetic Fitness, which is this artificially intelligent coach that I uh, created with Manu Hanselmanns, uh, we had to reprogram the whole thing because it's so complex that the last or, or the first version didn't actually work the way we intended it to. So we're hopefully also going to launch that in in January. So okay. those are the main. Websites you can find me at. but obviously if you search um, If you input my name in Google you can find Articles all over the internet and YouTube videos and podcasts and everything so I've I've been around so (laughs) It's easy to find me
1: Cool, all right, Borge. It was it was really a lot of fun and yeah, thank you very much again Thanks for having me